Last week, we looked to the past. This week, we look to the present and future. And once again, I would like to reiterate, in this two and a half hour long conversation that Carlos and I had, we barely scratched the surface. So in no way, shape, or form is this podcast episode an all-encompassing look at LGBT plus cinema, but it's kind of a starter pack of sorts. And even in the editing process, I would think about a movie that, oh my gosh, I can't believe we forgot to discuss that one. You know, this isn't going to be the only Pride Month episode. Uh, this isn't going to be the only episode where we even talk about uh, LGBT plus history and film just because of like how much there is there. So I would like to thank you once again for listening. Uh, last week was part one. This is part two. We got Brokeback, we got Love, Simon, we got Fire Island, we got Moonlight. Whether you are a lady on fire or a cheerleader, queen of the desert, or Julie Newmar, I invite you to enjoy this very special presentation because we come to this place for magic. We come to this podcast to laugh, to cry, to care, because we need that, that indescribable feeling we get when the lights begin to dim, dazzling images on a huge silver screen. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this, and stories feel perfect and powerful. Because here, they are. He's looking at you. What do you think about what last in your seatbelts? It's going to be our bumping up. the king of the world! The next thing I had on my list was a little film called Bound, made in 1996 by the Wachowskis. Oh, yes. Uh, back before they transitioned. Yeah. This was also before The Matrix, too. And I think it's their only one that's like inherently in full text queer. Yes. Um, isn't that the film that we watched in our movie night? Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's so good. Fantastic film. Like, film noir elements, but, like, fully lesbian love story. Uh, Jennifer Tilly is so good in that. She really is, and she really does need to get more credit where credit's due. Yeah, she is fantastic. The film is great. Um, their career, the Wachowskis, from there has been phenomenal and in a very interesting way, like, number one, they made The Matrix, which is, like, one of the biggest action movies of all time. Recently, they revealed that Neo's journey throughout that entire trilogy was an allegory for their own journey um, through their transition. Yes, and having that film being an underlying trans allegory is, A, beautiful, and B, absolutely hilarious when right-wing utilize... Red pill. Uh, there's there's a great thing where you see like two super conservatives using that, and I think it was Lana. I think it was Lana Wachowski who responded with like, basically uh, f off. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this was written by trans women, and learning that, and you go back and watch the movies, it fits. Like it's not. It's not sort of like retroactive. Oh yeah, I totally meant for it to mean this. You you look back and watch these movies, and you're like. Oh, okay. And it kind of like casts them in a new light. Like I liked them before, but I like them even more now. 
And I feel like the newest one kind of like brings it home. And my personal opinion is I think these characters deserve the happy ending and I'm glad they got one. Oh, for yeah. sure. And it's a nice little wrap up that needed to happen. Well, it didn't really need to happen, but it was nice to see. Yeah. Um, they had a very interesting career in that like a lot of their films post Matrix weren't super well received until like years after the fact. Mm-hmm. So now we're getting like reappraisals on Speed Racer, on uh, even Jupiter Ascending. People are looking back and going, you know, I think we were a little too harsh on this one. Granted, very strange film. Very <laughs> strange film. Um, was it the best? No. Did I have fun watching it? Absolutely. It was a big swing, and for me, I love it when filmmakers take a big swing. It was a risk. And it was honestly, it was very strange. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen Stranger, so it doesn't even matter. Yeah. And uh, I think the only one that was kind of well-received, and I think even more so now, is Cloud Atlas. I've only read the book, yeah. so my apologies. Um, but I heard it was a phenomenal film. Very well made. Um, discussions to be had about like some of the characters who, um, during the sci-fi Korea aspect, a little bit problematic there. Um, the point of the film is like all the actors play characters in each of the worlds, but that includes a scene that requires multiple characters to put on heavy prosthetics and be Asian. Yeah, which now there's now yeah. that there's uh, people talking about it, things are changing. Yes. And again, it's it's not to say that we have to hate this movie now. Absolutely not. I do think that it's important to have these conversations. I am going to go into that a little bit more when we go into our discussion on uh, trans representation in film as well. Yes. Because uh, these conversations actually did ha- make change happen. Mm-hmm. As we already mentioned, our first foray into LGBT cinema, like uh, for me as a young, not yet out gay kid watching this hilarious comedy and you watched a drama a romantic drama but you know independent Mm -hmm. it was a couple years after that universal took a chance on a major gay love story between two cowboys in i believe it was north dakota south dakota one of one of those mountainous regions mountainous regions states uh a mountain of sorts uh so Brokeback Mountain was directed by Ang Lee, who was uh, famous at the time for doing Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, it was co- written by uh, Diana Osana and uh, Larry McMurtry. Larry McMurtry was also famous for having done The Last Picture Show. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, these are like filmmakers who know, know their craft, know their art, starring Heath Ledger, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, starring Anne Hathaway, Michelle Williams, one thing to note is I believe every single one of them is heterosexual. Yes. However, Anne Hathaway uh, is an ally. Yes. Uh, does a lot for the queer community, um, as well as her brother is gay. Yep. And I believe everyone who worked on the film what, is an ally. I believe. To an extent. Yeah, to an most extent. of them. I, I, I have questions about Randy Quaid, but <laughs> I think everyone else for the most part. Um the film was very well received. It was up for numerous Oscars, and in fact, there was an outcry when it didn't win. Especially considering, um, I don't want to like throw shade at Crash because I actually did enjoy Crash, but Brokeback definitely should have won. 
Absolutely. And especially because it's one of the stories that you never see in mainstream. It wasn't even considered indie. Um, it was a mass release in the United States. Yeah. And to see just a gay story front and, it and center. It wasn't even like a stereotypical one. These are like traditionally masculine men. Traditionally masculine men during an era where it was not okay. It was basically based, I want to say, 50s, 60s? 60s? I believe it's 60s. Um, during a time where that was not even acceptable. And for them to tell a story in that little time frame of history. I thought the performers did great. Uh, the music was fantastic. The there's we, we throw jabs at it now because it's very obviously made by heterosexual people. Yes. Uh, there the infamous scene in the tent uh, that we're trying to keep this podcast as PG rated as possible. Listen, it's baked beans and faith. That's let's, all you got to say. Let's go with that. And maybe just a little bit of a, a good old spit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that's worth noting is the film does address the baked beans. Uh, it's a very, I don't want to say blink and you miss it, but it's like one of those lines of dialogue that are like, the, I feel like there's no other reason for that scene to be there. It's a little bit later in the film. Uh, Heath Ledger's character, Ennis, is going to buy supplies. Earlier on in the film, uh, he, the merchant is like, I don't recommend the soup. And he's like, well, I don't like soup. He buys the soup the second time, and the guy, the merchant's like, wait, I thought you didn't like soup. And he's like, well, I'm sick of beans. And it was that one line that was like, they address the beans. And it, it's worth noting, too, that these are characters who, within the story of the film, it might be implied that Jack Twist may have had... It, it's not clear whether or not he has had relationships prior to Ennis, but this is Ennis's first uh, same-sex experience. experience. So he probably went in there not knowing, and especially with how with how uh, awkward it was the morning after, I feel like the film does sufficiently address that in ways that I don't think it's given credit for. Absolutely, and it's a good um, snippet into DL culture. Yeah. Um, because they have to keep everything in secret and have to process said emotions if they've never experienced them before. Um, word to the wise, never go with a DL man unless you are ready to handle that baggage and unpack all that. Oh, yeah. Um, and that film is a great example of that because you see the swell of emotion that is unheard of for that character alone. They don't know how to process any of it. Yeah, and especially Ennis, who has like this idea of normalcy that this is like only for here but he can go home to his wife and daughters and everything will be normal and then we see later on the film that it really kind of isn't uh -huh. and yeah of course she finds out by you know because seeing, they seeing them kiss their discretion wasn't exactly the best at that point but it was a very big turning point it's an iconic scene because it is a swell of emotions that forget where they are for starters yes um, it was just in the moment and it was beautiful to see. Yeah. And quite essential to the actual storyline because at that point he could not ignore that side of him. Yeah. Even though like at any point his wife or daughters could just see it happening. Yeah. Um, it, and Michelle Williams played that off 
perfectly. Uh, I know, like, now it's become a bit of a memeable moment where she's like, Jack Nasty! <laughs> but, but that entire scene where she's just like, you've been cheating on me this entire time with a guy that, and, like, especially, like, knowing then, like, homosexuality obviously not being super well accepted, but, like, I, I feel like that's a woman feeling the betrayal of her husband more than anything else. Of infidelity. Yeah. Just to start, it didn't even have to do with the whole sexuality thing. It's yeah. literally being lied to, literally being cheated on, and that's a lot to unpack. Yeah. I think all the actors did a great job there. Yeah, and I think it was a stellar performance across the board. Yeah. And, and yeah, maybe it didn't get everything right. No. Um it wasn't going to, but no. what I'm going to give it all kinds of credit for is that it launched our stories into the mainstream in a way that was previously unheard of. 100%. And... Like, we had seen gay movies before, but now we were getting movies from major studios that talk about our stories in different ways. And eventually, uh, gay writers would come in and actually be able to, we would be able to tell our own stories. 100%, but there's still a lot that we need to work on. That is absolutely true. It's not perfect yet, but we're getting there. No, um, and a lot of the conversations now, uh, especially uh, with more diversity and inclusion uh, for storytelling, is a lot of people want our community to be part of those stories, to be the writers, to yes. be the actors. Um, in those films because granted when Brokeback Mountain came out it was innovative it was a forward for our community for having a story placed out about us the fact that if it happens now with straight actors would have a lot of pushback because we are now wedging into having more of our community in those films telling our own stories yes. um, to have more of an authentic experience of our stories to see that yes these are our stories and we are the perfect people to portray those stories yes and a lot of the argument happens to be of may the best actor take the role however the biggest problem is when you think meritocracy is the only viable experience to have the best actor for the role you are completely ignoring the fact that our community is still snubbed in talent all we the are time not, all the time we are not even mentioned or considered uh, still, to this day, um, for roles across the board. Unless your name is like Ian McKellen or even like the bigger names that we hear of like Neil Patrick Harris and Jonathan Groff, they're, they're very much considered for a very specific role. Absolutely. And we need to take a step back and realize the anger, the original anger of we aren't attacking said actors for portraying the role. We want more authenticity in our art, in our stories, because yes, it is our story. However, we're normally not included in any of it. Yeah. Um, and the biggest example of us being included in things um, would be what we're going to talk about later uh, with Fire Island. Another major Oscars contender would happen about a decade after Brokeback Mountain. It was a little movie called Moonlight. Oh, good old Moonlight. Moonlight actually won. And yes. it's kind of unfortunate because now it's like sort of the punchline that the wrong movie got read out. La La Land, uh, Moonlight, they're like 
inextricably tied, even though they're not in any way the same. Uh, Moonlight was a very beautiful film. It's not told in a traditional narrative fashion at all. Uh, it's loosely based on the life of the author, the playwright, and it details an experience that doesn't mesh with the traditional Hollywood representation of the gay community. 100%. And it is a fantastic example of nuance of life, of intersectionality. Yes. Uh, what it means to be uh, black uh, in America, what it means to be effeminate uh, in America, what it means to lose all of that, to have that wall up, um, to have that to hide behind masculinity at the very end, um, to shove everything that you once were when you were young. To hide it. To, to like... hide it. To hide it. And that final scene really takes it away. It's beautiful. That, it, that last... That last scene where you literally, you, fe- you find out that he basically balled everything up after that uh, after that encounter yeah. and went through full hypermasculinity and going to that diner and you immediately see all that weight immediately release yeah the moment they saw each other again and heartbreaking yeah just i i, I remember watching that movie and like coming out of it not knowing how to really fully process my how i felt at that moment but i knew i just watched something amazing 100 percent, and it was not even a love story yeah it was 100 percent not a love story it was about having an absent having parental parental unit yeah uh which is the mother yeah. um having a father figure who was not even their father uh step in and basically teach him everything that he was lacking at home. What I love about Mahershala Ali's character is he was supportive. Mm -hmm. This was like a male father figure who you would expect to be like, you can't be this way. But instead he's like, look, don't let anyone call you that word. You know, like you could be gay, but that's not who you are. Like, don't let them call you that. And he's like supportive and like an actual like father figure. Yeah. He was the father that he needed. It was it was really refreshing, and it's not clear. I'm assuming that his character at some point off screen dies. Yeah, but like his brief moment in the film was very powerful. Other examples of uh, mainstream uh, queer uh, filmmaking would be a romantic comedy that came out. Uh, it's been four years already. Wow, Love Simon. Oh, good old Love, Simon. So Love, Simon is a very interesting one in that, uh, once again, is it going to get everything right about the gay experience? Well, number one, it's kind of almost unfair to expect that it's going to touch all the bases because, once again, our experience... All experiences are different. Yeah. Um, And I would like to touch upon demanding so much from a lot of marginalized media yes um to check off all the boxes because at the time at this time we're not going to check off every single box what we should be asking is asking for more media yes more media um because 
we don't have the same scrutiny for heterosexual media. No, one hundred percent. Um, to an extent, of course. Yeah. Um, because we're always we're always going to have some criticism, one hundred percent. But with a lot of marginalized media, it is under a microscope all the time. And if you do not check off every single box, already done. We're yep. done. We're over it. Um, and it's unfair. It's unfair to the art. Granted, there are some things within Love Simon that I like. Do wish that they had more nuance to. Um, because the main character, unfortunately, was very, I'm not like the other gays. Yeah. Um, and an easy fix for that situation was when, during that scene when they're going to go see the principal, um, with the other effeminate gay in, uh, in scene to have more of a, there's different ways to be gay. Yeah. If they had a more heart to heart scene of there's no right way to be gay, that criticism would have been out the window. Yeah. I mean, there's a little one, but it could have been a little bit more clear. For yeah. sure. Uh, but a lot of it has to do with the lack of uh, media leader uh, literacy. That's true. Um, and you do have to be front and center of what you were saying. Yeah, it's unfortunate, too. The, I'm going to step aside from Love, Simon for just a second. I do mm-hmm. want to come back to it. A couple years ago, a film was recommended to me that I ended up watching and eventually i came around to it but my first time watching it several red flags were raised it's a movie called uh, straight up never heard of it so it's a screwball comedy style mm-hmm. uh the idea is a a person who's perceived as gay uh starts to come to the realization maybe i'm straight obviously red flags are coming up right away like excuse me what are you trying to say with this movie yeah so the movie what it comes down to it's heavily implied that it, that his character is asexual, mm-hmm. not gay, not straight. But at the end, he ends up in a heterosexual relationship. What you're saying about media literacy and the fact that the filmmakers decided, and it was a conscious choice not to put a label on it. And I, I could see the argument as to why they didn't. But at the same time, just the fact that they didn't name it like leaves so much open for... Interpretation. Yeah, from people who may not read it the way it's supposed to be read Uh and i was i was kind of bothered by that i did come around to the film eventually and i was like you know what this was well made and what the filmmaker was going for was was ultimately good and it sounds like it has a lot of nuance to it yeah and that is the biggest issue that we currently have yeah um was leaving the interpretation to the audience um, because they are in hopes to gain those brownie points of diversity without the effort yeah and i i don't think that was necessarily what was the issue i think it was more along the lines of like well sexuality is a very uh complicated nuanced thing which yeah. is true it's very a, much it's a so. full spectrum but will the general audience understand yeah that? um that that's where my that's where my concern was with that film um and still kind of is mm-hmm. and like you said media literacy especially in the united states not great <laughs> no 100 percent. and then we leave in situations uh, like the Love Simon author, yeah, who are uh, we? Uh, the assumption was this is a straight person telling a gay story, uh, which kind of forced her to come out. Yes, and mm-hmm. it is unfortunate for the situation, but um, it was a boiling point um, where a lot of our media ended up going for awards, a lot of awards towards uh, heterosexuals, um, left and right, telling our stories and winning awards for our stories call me by your name call me by your name um, the unfortunate part for the author was that was the boiling point of the conversation where 
people were done with having a window uh, into our community. And yeah. it is very dangerous because, huh, nuance, is there are people who are not ready to be out yet. Yes. And they are telling our stories uh, because they are part of the community. However, they are not in a safe point uh, in their lives uh, to be out. Uh, in fact, it's still a career taboo to be out in Hollywood. No matter how leftist you think Hollywood is, it is not. Um, and having a lot of friends who are in uh, the entertainment uh, industry uh, know immediately that if you are out, it is harder for you to land roles, period. Yeah. No matter how good you are, it's because you're either part of the community, um, you're going to be in the back. You're going to be in the back or not even considered. Yeah, which is unfortunate. And in the case of Love, Simon, which, by the way, I thought was fantastic. I remember watching it and I feel like I have there's not been a single time where I have walked out of Love Simon not in tears. Oh, 100% because it is a coming out story that a lot of people had to go through and what we spoke about in the first part of uh the podcast is being forced out. You're hit the ground running and for yeah. people who did not have a good experience of coming out, it's a flight or a flight or fight experience yeah. going through that film um, because you understand all the lies that were created all like all the fronts that were presented to make sure that his truth didn't come out yes and he had a, he had it easier too i think because 100%. he was in he was like in a bubble that was like almost entirely accepting of the gay community yeah and Which, a lot of people do not get that same luxury yeah so and even like and what it does do a good job at presenting though is that even when you do have that bubble it's still a scary thing because mm -hmm. you don't know how everyone's going to react 100 percent, and that's what's difficult about coming out is because it's not one and done yeah. it's not one and done you're constantly having to come out um and so you're laying the risk of how others are going to react. While your immediate bubble has already gone through it and has already been accepting, um, you may not know about others down your down your road to life uh, that it might go south. You are basically risking your safety every single day being out and open. Yeah. Yeah, some of it does come across a little bit fairy tale ish mm -hmm. uh, You know, traditional Hollywood rom-com. But in a way, like, this was a very earnest rom-com yeah. for our community that, come to think of it, I don't think we've ever really had that. 100% because a lot of our queer media that I have consumed um, happened to be uh, TLA Releasings. If you remember that company, uh, basically it was one of the biggest distributors of LGBT film. Yes. Um, and I literally have 50 to 60 of their content literally in a box stored away um and a lot of it has to do with uh hard topics like when coming out actually does not go correctly yeah. um deals with drug use sex uh sex addiction um crime a lot of really hard topics back to back a lot of trials and tribulations and heartbreak and um really a true but be earnest stories of how being gay um, could ha could be. Yeah. 
and to have Love, Simon to be a very lighthearted, fun, comforting almost film at the very end. Um, it felt very cathartic. It, it was very cathartic because it's something that we in our media do not see often because a lot of um, our film has just been trauma. Yeah. Even Brokeback. Brokeback ends with uh, with Jack being, like, murdered. Yeah. And, oh, God, that, that scene is heartbreaking. Yeah. Especially when he, like, hugs that flannel for oh that last God, time. Oh, my God, yeah. Tears. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think this, the scene that gets me every time, and I, I don't know if... I think it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, it almost feels like that conversation we wish we had is the scene that he has with his mother where she reassures him. And the the line that gets to me, I'm like already like starting to feel it. You finally get to exhale. And that that hit me that every time. I'm like thinking about it. I'm like already like I'm like my eyes are watering. When I did a preview <laughs> of that film uh, before it was released, not silent during that film. You literally hear everyone sobbing. Not just like light tears, like sniffle. Literally in your hands sobbing like the level of you at coco yeah yeah but think of that but, but everyone in the audience, <laughs> in the audience. Too. yeah um <laughs> i was in tears because those are the words that you especially if it did not go right for you like yeah. i did not go right for me um to have those words said to you directly to you like the, she's staring at the camera she's literally like... staring at the camera like now I'm like about to cry. <laughs> right. Um, it's what you needed. It's what you've always needed. And it just sucks that it wasn't your own family to do it. Yeah. And it was literally a character on the big screen to say it. Yeah. And. But it was such a powerful moment. And like, still just thinking about it, we're yeah. like already like, oh my gosh. You're yeah. I'm already like, my eyes are red. Yeah. It's fine. I don't show emotion. What's yeah. emotion? But the fact that, it was not even in the book. Yeah. And it was added in. Phenomenal. Yeah. Of course, there's a grinder joke in there. Yeah. Like, <sighs> it's, it's like Facebook for gay people, right? No, no, it's <laughs> no. not what that oh, is. Oh, baby. <laughs> uh, <I'm... laughs> but the fact is, yeah, did it have some problems? Sure. Yeah. With any with anything that we um, consume in it's media. A, it's a major Hollywood production yeah. about the gay experience. And yes, uh Gay, the, the director, I believe, is part yeah. of our community, uh, based on a book written by someone in our community. Um, it, but because, you know, that Hollywood aspect of it, it's not going to check every box. But... No, it's not going to check every box. And I think the only, like, my only main criticism of um, having more of that scene of, like, there's no one wrong way to be gay. Yeah. Um, accepting both the effeminate uh, gay character and Simon. Um having that mutual agreement and that and having more LGBT characters or actually actors being participants in the films. Yes. Simon, uh, the actor who played him, heterosexual, the, his love interest, the person he's having a correspondence with, um, bisexual in real life. Yes. So at least one of them, one of, <laughs> one them, of them, at is least part of our community, uh, and for uh, Simon's case, and his name is escaping me right now, I believe his brother is gay. Yes. So he has like at least a connection to the community. Mm -hmm. 
and it's so strange to see like something like I'm going back to um, a full flip coin of fantasy of sometimes we do need we need we need a happy ending. We sometimes. need a happy we, a we need a happy ending and b we need escapism. Yes. Um, yeah, sure. Um, the flower that blooms in adversity is the rarest and most beautiful of all. Yada yada trauma. Yeah. <laughs> we need happiness. We need yeah. to have feel good movies where we leave with our hearts full. Yeah. Because a lot of our stories that they push through for us is our hardships. Yes. I think having something of this caliber of like having a happy ending, a lot of it kind of makes you go, how dare you? How yeah. dare you have happiness when I didn't get it myself? Yeah. And we see a lot of it with uh, the new TV show on Heartstopper? Netflix, Heartstopper. Halfway through it, loving it so far. Read the comics, did not watch the show. However, um, it is a good point of saying that all stories, whether trauma or not, have validity of being told. Yes. Um, We do need that escapism. We do need just happy-go-lucky shows where we're in it. Yeah. We're in it, and we're having fun. We're having the romance that we've always wanted. We're having the rom-com. We're having... um, Everything that our heterosexual parts of our community, like of our earth, get should be us too. Yeah, and we want to be included. That's all it is. And we shouldn't have to tear down one type of media that we get to praise another. Yes, absolutely. Because all those films from TSA releasings, were they the best? No. They're very low budget. They're very (laughs) low budget, very like indie. But they're true stories. Yeah. They're true stories that happen to people every single day. There are traumas that you see in, on day-to-day life. They're just as valid as they're the happy-go-lucky shows and movies, such as Heartstopper and Love, Simon. Yeah, and keeping in mind, too, like, a lot of times, like, those are the stories that... I, I, I When I watched Call Me By Your Name for the first time, mm-hmm. I was like, it takes place in the 80s. I'm like, oh my god, this is going to end in AIDS, isn't it? Which is the unfortunate part because, <sighs> A, unfortunately, we lost a lot of people in our community yes. due to it. And so that is a huge gap in our history yes. that we have lost. We have lost a lot of artists. We lost a lot of musicians, um, filmmakers, um, theater, yes. actors, actresses. There's an entire generation missing. Yeah. And it's hard to ignore it. Yeah. And when our stories are told in that lens, we have to brace ourselves. Yeah. It's, it is it is a hard thing to watch, especially now watching. I, I remember having not just Philadelphia, which is a, an excellent example, but like even something like Rent, because Rent was written by someone who was worried about his friend who was HIV positive. Mm-hmm. Um watching that is heartbreaking as well because you get to love these characters you get to like know these characters and then you watch them fall apart you watch them you you watch them deteriorate because of this this disease there was a tv movie that i watched for a sexuality class a while back but it was very powerful it's called and the band played on oh yes yeah that one was that one was heart-wrenching and it's like, yeah, it's a TV movie, but it's like, like Ian McKellen is in it. Oh gosh, like, and this isn't to take away from films that are about the AIDS epidemic, um, 
It is something that's hard for us to watch, though. It does feel like that's the story that a lot of times, especially like 90s Hollywood, would kind of gravitate towards when telling our story. And it's like, we do have other stories to tell as well. And yeah, that was a horrible, horrible experience for so many of us. Um, and I, in one way, it's like, yes, it's an important story to tell, but do we want to keep reliving it? Yeah. I mean, it's even in like you see you see it in Paris is Burning because it's happening like while the movie is filming. One hundred percent, and it's it's cathartic. If you ever see the documentary, I recommend it. One hundred percent for Pride. So good. Um, to watch it because you do see you do see the happiness. You do see um the sanctuary that they've built themselves from literally their bleeding hands to make something a possibility yeah. and you're both leaving after the uh, after the documentary of feeling hope but also a sense of despair because a lot of them are no longer with us in fact one of them didn't like one of them didn't even make it to the end of the editing process yeah like, she unfortunately was one of the trans uh people that they were following uh during this whole documentary and she was murdered yeah. um and while they were doing uh this documentary and it's it's really hard to rewatch because you see her just living her freedom yeah uh in in new york just because of how her situation was just seeing her just at peace and doing what she wanted to do she was a sex worker she like she was living her truth yeah uh as a trans woman and you see a lot of like light in her eye and she's having that peace of i have that freedom to be me um gone yeah and it's a huge void of when it happens so on to lighter lighter subject <laughs> my apologies no that's okay it's all it's all relevant um gaze and horror Oh, yes. So, uh, gays absolutely love horror movies, whether it is camp, whether it is slasher, which is dark. Um, we love it. We absolutely love it. We see a huge following in it when you read Fangora magazine, when you see what is on Shudder. Um, Shudder is literally the reason why uh, the Belay Brothers Dragula uh, yes. is now a larger name. I don't want to like, again, we're not a monolith, but a lot of the gay people I talk to, a lot of my gay friends, uh, oh, I sound like a straight saying that. (laughs) Um, We love horror. We love, like, every time there's like a slasher film that comes out, we were all over Scream when that came out. Uh, Halloween Kills. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part like two. Part yes. two in particular. I know the first one is like a lot of our favorites. but High part, Camp Adventure. Yeah, part two. It is worth mentioning. 100%, and we'll get into it. But I think what our attraction is to horror, um, in my personal opinion, is the remnants of queer-coding villains. Yes. Um, Because we see a lot of our traits within the villains um, translate very well into other horror movies with a great example of Scream. Scream. Um, That is an incredible part of queer-coding at the very end. We, in fact, I think we claimed them. We claimed Billy and, uh, we we claimed them. (laughs) Despite the fact they are heterosexual, but it's one of those where we kind of attach ourselves to 
things that are not gay. Yeah. Well, didn't Skeet Ulrich kind of confirm that the character was a repressed homosexual? Yeah, but it also fe- it feeds into a lot that has to do with... Kind of retroactively... Yeah, retroactive mm-hmm. diversity, which I really do not like. <laughs> but we'll, we'll throw you a bone because a lot of uh, queers Because we, cl- we claim them. We claim them. It's, it's fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that... For sure, the two killers in Scream, especially, like, when you see them together at the end, when, like, when Stu's uh, head is, like, over Billy's shoulder, and, like, it looks like they're in this, like, embrace while they're, like, taunting Sydney. I'm like, oh my gosh, these two are, like, there's something there. Yeah. There's not nothing there. (laughs) True. But also, we have to, like, have that nice fine line of, this was not intended, however... The audience liked it. So we'll take it. So we'll take it. But they don't get brownie points. No, no. They do not get brownie points, but we'll take it. And if it was intentional, like, they did they did make the two queer characters the killers. So the, yeah. And that happens. That's problematic. Across, yeah. It happens across the board, but it's remnants of the Hates Code. Yep. That we still see today with queer coding. Yes. Uh, probably one of the most infamous examples of queers in horror is uh nightmare on elm street 2 yes the gayest of all of them by design yes uh so the main character himself is not uh gay however uh because the actor is very very effeminate um, there were tall tales of the character itself being queer-coded when, in fact, no, the character was, in fact, straight. Yes. Um, it's just the actor himself couldn't hide it. There's an entire documentary on this that is worth a look called Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. That's Scream, comma, Queen, exclamation point, My Nightmare on Elm Street. And it's basically the journey of the documentary, uh... The, the actor. Of the actor. Yeah. And how it came to be and how he uh, it filled that role. Kind of ruined his career, sadly, I think. Yeah. Um, when the writer went into making a sequel to A Nightmare on Elm Street, he tapped into a gay panic that was happening in the 80s. And so all of that queer coding in there is absolutely intentional in a bit of a problematic way. 100%. But it, like many things that happened in the 80s, it kind of like got flipped the narrative got flipped and we sort of claimed it. Yeah. Because it's a window of time. Yeah. Um, if it was made now, then there would be problems. Very much so. However, when we're looking through the view, view the viewing lens of it is in the 80s and it is a snippet of what was happening during that time. Um, you understand, A, what was happening and B, why his sexuality was heading the entire time um, for the actor, of course, not yeah. the character. Um the fact that the remnants of the Hays Code with the queer coding villains um, was very alive. Um, I believe uh, Freddy Krueger himself was a little bit queer coded. Yeah, 100%. And um, that film had uh, a bear bar. It had uh, <laughs> leather. Leather. Um, leather kink. The, literally the, uh, the, the character who was antagonizing the main character. Um, happened to be gay at a gay leather bar. Yeah. And so that's how he died in the showers, was in a kink-themed murder. Um, 100% not okay. Yeah. Um, however, it is going through that gay panic 
theme um, of what the film was going for. Yeah. And a little, there's another series that happened which had a little bit of trans panic going for it. Um, Sleepaway Camp. Oh, Sleepaway Camp. Ends with the reveal that, spoiler alert for like 50-year-old movie, uh, the killer was actually the main protagonist, a young girl who was actually a boy. And it is difficult to see because it is the final scene that you see and it scars you. It literally etches that full visual of the main character nude forcing you to see that that was the intent yeah and it's played for shock value and uh i believe earlier i misgendered the character because in canon especially with the sequel the character is a woman yes um yeah and they do mention it uh, that she does go through the transition. Uh, the, the transition. But also still ends up being the, the murderer. murderer in the uh, second film. But that, the first film was not intended to be campy. Um, it was supposed to be a, a summer slasher. Um, the sequel that solidified the trans character um, as the murderer happened to be a high camp adventure. Yes. Instead. Still problematic. Still problematic. <laughs> However, um, we claimed it. It is part of our history. We saw we saw it at the Frida. <laughs> we saw it at the Frida. Um, a good segue. Uh, always support your local theater because yes. they will they take the higher risks that mean theaters will not. Yes, uh, if you're living in the Orange County area in Southern California, the Frida Cinema in Santa Ana is they do a lot of good work for independent cinema. One hundred percent, and they do a lot for the LGBTQ community. They do. Um, I that, know. that was a queer event. That it was, was uh, a attack, was... attack of the Queer Wolf. Yep, Attack of the Queer Wolf has another uh, amazing podcast. Uh, yes, if you're looking for more topics on queer and horror, uh, Attack of the Queer Wolf uh, is a great segue uh, into why queers love horror. Yep. And uh, that kind of leads me into another discussion I wanted to get into was uh, trans representation in film. Yes, uh, not a whole lot of it. Yeah. Uh, one of the f- most famous examples was 1975's The Rocky Horror Picture Show, which um, the song refers to dr frankenfurter as a sweet transvestite from transsexual transylvania so unclear whether intended to be trans so it's also has to do with a lot of how our language evolves yeah um we no longer utilize the term transsexual yeah um in our day-to-day conversation however it is still okay for those who do have that experience can call themselves as transsexual um they themselves will have to use that word. We don't. That is true. Um, so that is no longer a term that we use. However, in that time, that was uh, that was the term. Yeah. And you could, with viewing in a more present lens, um, can be done as uh, the character as trans. Yeah. However, we don't know yeah. unless we actually speak to the actual um, writers. Writers. Yeah, it's not entirely clear. It's also worth noting that like modern renditions of Rocky Horror change the lyric to sensational Transylvania. Yeah, and the most recent remake of the film ended up having uh, that character played by a trans woman. Yeah, there was a surprising portrayal, I thought, because a couple years ago, for the first time, I got to see Sidney Lumet's Dog Day Afternoon. Yes. From 1975, which mm-hmm. had the protagonist was revealed to be gay. 
with a trans lover. And what was surprising to me about that one was like how sensitively they portrayed the trans character in that film. Obviously played by a cisgender actor. Yeah. But um, in 1975, that feels like a huge deal. Oh, absolutely. Like, we, it's hard to get that today. <laughs> no, for sure. And, and we see it just sporadically. It's not... Unfortunately, it's not a story that is told widely. Yeah. Um, and it should. Um, trans experiences should should have the same light light as our cis gay stories that yes. we constantly see uh, in our media. And going back to having more representation of the community, um, the biggest one would be uh, the Danish girl. Yes. I think that's... I don't want to, I don't know if that's where the conversation started like mm-hmm. hey maybe we should have trans actors playing these roles mm-hmm. but the, it, that's when the conversation exploded yes cuz uh, the same year we get Tangerine which mm-hmm. we do have a trans actress playing a trans character yes um Eddie Redmayne obviously a cisgender actor yeah um was nominated for an ask, for an Oscar for that role mm-hmm. and once again this is like cisgender straight actors being rewarded for you know just putting on putting on a dress putting on and and like they can take it off but an actual trans person that's who they are yeah that is their lives and i feel those type of stories will have more uh, a better authenticity of experience yes and because of that conversation now we're, we're starting to get more like if we're going to get a trans character more likely than not they're going to be played by a trans actor i'm thinking about like how the whole thing with scarlett johansson how basically that movie got shut down because like oh and- america's favorite asian american <laughs> actress uh oh goodness <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it happens in and and she she even brought up the point like well why didn't you give Felicity Huffman uh, trouble for her performance in Trans America, I mean in two thousand five we were getting a trans story at all yeah and that conversation wasn't happening as open as it is now yeah and we have shifted our conversations we basically are trying to shift the Overton window of our community stories should come from our own community uh whether it be the writers and the characters and even the behind the scenes yeah because we are so very limited in our visibility we don't see it yeah but you know what's great about these conversations mm-hmm. too the fact that we were able to have them now we get pose yeah now we get um isabel sandoval mm-hmm. with uh films like lingua franca which is amazing if you haven't had the chance to see that that mm-hmm. one's on netflix i believe yes and Isabel Sandoval now is, like, kind of blowing up herself. Like, she's directing films with, like, bigger-name stars in it. I believe she's doing one with uh, Andrew Garfield that's supposed to come out later this year. Yes. So, w- without having these conversations, like, we don't get that representation, which means so much. 100%. And when an actress or an actor um, says, why are you giving me slack when XYZ didn't, you aren't paying attention to what's happening around you. And she mentioned Eddie Redmayne again as well. And like, we did get, we did give him trouble. We, yeah. we, that's where with this whole thing started. Yeah. And <laughs> you aren't listening to the community that you are trying to communicate with. Yeah. 
And that's unfortunate. And we're not saying that she's not talented enough to pull that off. Oh, 100%. Most of us are fans. Like, but at the same time, it's like, well, there are trans actors who would have very much liked that role. Yeah. And even then, a lot of our, a lot of the people in our community, especially our trans community, um, aren't even considered for roles, period. Whether it be cis or trans character. Yeah. They're not even looked at. They're literally, if you are not, quote unquote, passing and whatever binary that you are, you are not given a role. Yeah. And, you know, we can have this conversation about, like, whether it's appropriate for a cisgender to play a a transgender character when we see a trans actor play a cisgender character. And we do see it ever so often. Rare. Rare. Very rare. But the big conversation is... We need more of our community in the actual industry in order for us to no longer have that conversation. Exactly. Because we need more of our community to a point where it is day-to-day. Yeah. That we are part of process. We are part of the casting. We're part of um, background writing um, that we no longer have to say we need a trans person to be in this trans role. Yes. We are not there, not by a long not shot. Not even close. Um, which is why we are in full front and center of, hey, our stories are more genuine when we are part of it. And this isn't to like throw shade at like the well-meaning films from oh, the 90s. 100%. Um, obviously, we have like The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which also had a very strong portrayal of a trans character played, of course, by cisgender actor uh, Terrence Stamp. Yes. Also a very problematic portrayal of an Asian character, but that was... Yeah, that was during the time of when it was acceptable, but like I said, things change. The Overton window shifts. Yeah. And you can also tell that uh, our community was involved in that film. Yeah. Because it had such an earnest and honest portrayal of our strife, our comedy... Um, the references of that time, um, full on, they had someone consulted in yes. our community to be part of that film because it is part of the echelon of queer media. Yes, that one. And of course, it's a fellow mid-90s counterpart yes. to Wang Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Which also a huge recommendation of watching it because it is a fun high camp adventure that also shows both of our trauma um, of being out and open, um, both being uh, effeminate, uh, as well as showing full proof that a lot of our community was involved in that film. Yes, even um, though all three actors, cisgender, straight... Uh, actors. I'm yeah. assuming. 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 <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Patrick Swayze and me, rest in peace. Yes. Um, you could tell immediately from the very first scene during that pageant that queer people were involved uh, because you saw... I mean, RuPaul shows up like... Literally right the host. Yeah. Literally the host of it. But you see like Coco Peru as yeah. well. You see high-named drag queens that are in the very beginning of the movie, front and center, front and center. Yeah. Basically saying, we know. Yeah. They gave their approval. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no, not that's not the reason it's fine. It's no. just more like there was input. Our community was involved with these films yeah. in some way. Exactly. And it was during a time where a lot of main characters could, non-main actors for lead roles were not allowed in those front and center uh, roles. That is true as well. Um, and that's why this conversation is happening is because we want our community in those main lead roles because back then we weren't even given that opportunity. Yeah, like 
gay like do we have gay movie stars like mm-hmm. yeah patrick swayze john Leguizamo, wesley snipes these were all big names but like in the 90s we didn't have those big names really yeah and we relied can... we relied on star power for our stories to be heard yeah same thing happened with Brokeback. Yeah. The star power. Incredible actors. Yeah. And now it's kind of come. It's getting better. It's yeah. not there yet. Um, no. Ariana DeBose, getting, who just won an Oscar for West Side Story, uh, came out. Well, she. I think she was already out. But, yeah. you know, she's uh, bisexual. Don't quote me on that. But she is part of the community. She is part of our community. And I am so sorry if I got that wrong. Um, she mentioned it in her award speech. Why did I not? Why can't I remember it right I now? I think it's because um, when we were watching it together, so we were, uh, I was at his house watching yeah. it, and <laughs> I was more focused on the mom's reaction with yeah. the hands to her when so, she said it. Did than... she not know? <laughs> yeah, it looked like she did not know, but she was also probably like, oh, on live television? I was more focused on that reaction than what she actually said. So I do apologize in full in advance uh, of what she is. However, she is family. She is community. Yes, definitely. Uh I'd be remiss to not mention another major recent film that came out uh, from France. Uh, the incredibly gorgeous Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Which is honestly what we needed. Yeah, very beautiful love story. Not necessarily happy ending, no. per se, but almost kind of like a bittersweet. It had a lot of the tropes uh, of uh, longing. Yes. Of longing and pining, which is very prevalent in stereotypes of lesbianism yeah. uh, in media. And it was portrayed in such a beautiful manner that you were felt, you felt heartbroken at the end. Yeah. And like just every, like every shot in the film is just, it's, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like everything is a painting. Obviously, well, the story is about an artist. So she's painting. That's the name of her her painting is the portrait of a lady on fire and that was the director's intention yeah uh, for it yeah i very much recommend that one um i'm sure that's probably like on the criterion channel or something like most that. Likely. most likely uh leading into our other the other fire movie <laughs> that was released just a couple of days ago very recently uh, june 3rd uh fire island it is a pride and prejudice themed uh queer movie yeah I thought it was a very sharply written comedy. Yeah. Um, however well it did on the Bechdel test. Um, oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. You know, uh, let's get did in. I have to? I, I don't know. No, it's okay because it's I fun. feel I feel bad. Um, no, not really because it's all about learning uh, yes. about the situation. So on Twitter, because uh, the movie just came out just a couple of days ago upon recording this. Um, so uh, a person online stated uh, that... It does get an F minus on the Bechdel test uh, in a whole new way. Um, do we ignore uh, the lesbian stereotypes uh, because of cute gay Asian boys? And that basically had a lot of controversy to it. For There's a lot to unpack there. There is a lot to unpack there. So much so that a lot of people spoke out, including some of the actors. And it got so bad to the point where Alison Bechdel uh, logged in and specified... <laughs> I just added a corollary uh, to the Bechdel test. Two men talking to each other about a female protagonist in an Alice Munro story in a screenplay structured on a Jane Austen novel passes the Bechdel test. I mean, to to be fair to the person who said the thing, she mm-hmm. has since apologized and removed the tweet. 
Um, well, this was like, after like a good day of like being heavily ratioed. Yes, um, but as a learning experience of how yes. to utilize um, and scrutinize our queer media. Yes. Um, that not everything is going to check off all the boxes that you need in order for a movie to cater to what your interests are. And that is okay. Um, the movie shows a lot of uh, queer Asian men uh, in a place where it is white dominated. Uh, Fire Island uh, literally is a paradise uh, for white gays. Uh, and, and the film does a really good job at addressing that. Exactly. And that is basically the story of um, how do people of color, um, in this case, uh, our Asian community you know, within our own community, Intersectionality Matters, um, still have a good time in those spaces that they are not oftentimes not welcomed they walk in and immediately it's like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Like they're immediately because of, of how they look, um, are not welcome, uh, to the party that they crash basically. Yeah. Uh, even though in fire Island, you just go to everyone's party. That's, yeah. that's the thing. You literally, if you ever go to Palm Springs, fire Island, um, God, what other gay destinations, Puerto Vallarta, um, Provincetown. Oh, I, I, I uh, only just now learning about Provincetown. I'm a bad gay. It's okay. <laughs> you don't need to. And it's okay that you don't know any of those places um, because it's not our scene. I don't yeah, go to them. Same. Um, and that's okay, too. I know about them because I do have friends that go to those places and they go have a great time. However, a lot of them are very white-dominated and people of color, such as myself, oftentimes do not feel welcomed in those spaces. And that film, Fire Island, takes a huge storyline for it. And they're still having a great time despite that situation. Yeah. It addresses, it does address, like, so many, like, social issues specifically for the AAPI community. Yeah. Um, and also it's a very smartly written screenplay. Uh, Joel Kim Booster wrote it. Mm -hmm. It was a very good way of reinterpreting Jane Austen for not just the modern era, but specifically for the gay experience. Yes. And was it a perfect movie? Absolutely not. No movie should ever, no movie is ever going to be perfect. No, 100%. Like was it, it fun? Yeah, it yeah. was fun. It's something to like kick back and watch. It doesn't have to be scrutinized over everything. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a lot of conversations uh, with the, uh, the, the heavy set uh, black character not having the same sexual experience uh, as the rest of the uh, cast and, and is unfortunate. And yeah. that's like a, a fair a uh, fair criticism of it. Yeah. Like, he should have the same experience as the rest of the characters uh, that were there. And it would have been it would have been realistic. Because, yeah. like, a tr human attraction is, like, it's not something that's, like, oh, you have abs, so yeah. you only, you know? Yeah. Like... And the only fat character, who is also black, um, didn't get the same attraction to what uh, the other characters were receiving. Yeah. 100% completely valid criticism of it. Um, and that's a good conversation to have. And future uh, productions should include that. And yeah. that's definitely the conversation that we should be having. Because, yeah, body image is something that is kind of like a huge... It, it's a huge issue, particular, particularly in our community. Mm -hmm. Like, you go on Grindr, you see a bunch of like pictures of torsos that are like model bodies and stuff. Yeah. And Fire Island, the movie, like kind of taps into that, that 
your body is literally your currency. And it, it's worth noting, I thought every every single person in that cast was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, they were 100% yeah. gorgeous. And <laughs> they knew what they were doing. They yeah. knew that what they were doing, uh, and they played their characters up. Yes. And none of the scenes felt strained. Yeah. And a majority of the cast, literally, like, all of them are gay in real life. Yeah. Like, it is a movie for us, by us. Yes. Does it need improvement? Sure. For future projects. Yeah. And it's, again, these conversations are worth having specifically because, like, in the future, we can address it. Yeah. When you think about, like, my pick, my favorite movie from last year was In the Heights. Yeah. And the big issue with that film is that it didn't have any Afro-Latino actors. Which are very prevalent in that neighborhood that yeah. they're showcasing. Was that done intentionally? I don't think it was, but I do think that now we brought attention to the fact that future films should be including that representation. Mm -hmm. And that does kind of bring me into another topic that I wanted to go into a little bit. Um, a few years back, I posted on Facebook that, hey, this Ace Ventura pet detective movie is pretty transphobic. Oh, boy. And uh, the backlash I got for saying that was surprising. <laughs> I didn't realize... I knew the movie was somewhat beloved as, like, a 90s... It's the film that introduced us all to Jim Carrey. Yeah. Um, I was um, definitely uh, taken aback by the reaction because the film's villain is a trans woman. And, in fact, it's played up for laughs when he spins her around and you see the... Um, the tucking. Yeah. And every character starts throwing up. Mm -hmm. This is actually kind of a trope that exists throughout, like, a lot of trans representation in films. It even shows up in The Crying Game, which is a more sensitive portrayal, but begins with the character, once he finds out that the woman he's been seeing is trans, throws up. That's... This is mentioned a lot in the documentary Disclosure. Mm-hmm. Uh, which also highly recommend that one. That one's a that one's a very important discussion on trans representation in film. Um, but the the backlash I got for saying that, digress, digressing a little bit. It sorry. was wild. Uh, My God. Um, us saying that we need to address this isn't saying you can't like this movie anymore. No. Uh, I've mentioned it a few times because over the past couple of years, I did a couple rewatches on things like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which. Oh, Ooh. my God. Uh, <laughs> that one and the James Bond film Octopussy both have a scene where, oh, my God, look what Indian people eat. Yeah. And it's it's like, it's offensive. Yeah. For sure. And have you had Indian food? It's actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's not to say, like, I hate this movie now. This movie's no. canceled. No, I will still lap it up. I'll still watch these movies. Uh, but it, it's worth noting that we don't want to see this in future movies. Yeah, and it's it's definitely something that you you have to critically view your media. That is part of media consumption and media literacy. Is yeah. not everything is going to be perfect, and it's definitely something that you need to have a conversation about. Um, the biggest example was when Mary Poppins uh, yes. happened, and I got a lot of flack on that one. So there is uh, a word that we no longer say. Um, it is said during the Stepping Time song. Uh, it was the general who witnesses the uh, the chimney sweeps and says the H word, which is a South African um, N word, essentially. That is why we in the United States didn't recognize it, because we don't hear it here. No. 
Um, and you can see it directly on YouTube. Um, and someone had a constructive criticism of, hey, we do not use this word no uh, anymore. Yeah. That translated to Mary Poppins is canceled because of the racist caricature. Um, and that's not the conversation. That was never the conversation to in begin fact, with. In fact, it was even being presented as, because they had soot on their faces, Mary Poppins did blackface. No. Which is not what the article was saying. That's not what... That, that wasn't the claim at all. No. And the the outrage bandwagon takes a small snippet and runs with it, and that's yeah. what happens. Um, we can have critical conversations about the media that we consume, but we need to also understand that we have to be clear on it. And yeah. that person who did the criticism uh, for Mary Poppins was very clear, just literally, hey, in future renditions, let's not use that H word. Yeah. And in the remake, did they say the H word? No. No. And that's how we learn. Yeah. Again, it's not about cancellation. I've constantly said cancel, cancel culture isn't even real. No, it's not. And it doesn't affect the yeah. actual people who really do need to. But besides the point. Yeah. The the fact is you can still enjoy Mary Poppins in all of its worth with also knowing the history of the author as well as that scene. Yes. Um, doesn't pull away from the actual movie itself because no one was saying that the soot-faced chimney sweeps are in blackface because we know that is a profession of that time. Yes. And that's what we were not talking about the correlation of that word being used towards the chimney sweeps was the correlation that happened and they ran with it yeah they ran with the wrong part of it basically yeah, they ended up yeah because the reaction <laughs> to the general about to like shoot them with a cannon says the h word um because they see all he sees is soot faced chimney sweeps yeah and that was the correlation and the only criticism was was hey in the future let's not use the h word yeah that was um, it <laughs> that was it um, because of that correlation, but all of that was ignored. Yeah. I've said before, like, all your favorite movies are problematic, so be prepared to have uncomfortable conversations about the things that you love. But you can still enjoy them, and it's not yeah. going to ruin your childhood because you already had your childhood, and it's okay to revisit and relearn. Yes, absolutely. I want to ask you a bunch of questions, and I want to have them answered immediately. All right, uh, so uh, we can move on to our... Q&A slash recommendation session. Milady of Disney on Twitter uh, asked, have you seen the film The Wedding Banquet? If so, what are your thoughts on it? Then she uh, realized that uh, this is one of the first times that she could remember seeing a Chinese film with a gay story. Uh, but it is, she saw it on VHS and it, it got lost over time. And that happens a lot. Uh, it just depends on the distributor. Um, yeah. And... A lot of the older films that have our stories oftentimes just get blown in the wind. What I would like to see, and um, I'm going to accept this one as a recommendation, mm -hmm. mainly because films that tend to get lost like that might end up being findable on YouTube. Sometimes, yeah. Not always, but I found like some extremely hard to find films like on YouTube. Um, You'd be real surprised. And even yeah. then, like if you ever get your hands on it, um, By the way, I don't support piracy, uh, but the only way you could see a movie. <laughs> Listen, uh, uh, look, if we're you, not cops. If you make it available, I will pay to see it. How about that? That works. Yeah. Done. And that, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not even going to say anything else about the whole YouTube situation. If it's available and it falls into my lap, who am I to deny? Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a, YouTube is a great video service that sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all full of commercials today. 
And uh, I'm not even getting paid. Right? Uh, Malin, that's M A L L E N 1811 on Twitter has a recommendation for us and it is the documentary Howard which is on Disney Plus. Oh yes, good it, old Howard. A documentary on the songwriter Howard Ashman who worked on the golden age of the the second golden age, the 90s golden age of Disney animated films before unfortunately succumbing to AIDS. Um, yeah. it gets really sad towards the end, especially when you think about um, how he didn't even, he barely lived to see the release of Beauty and the Beast, uh -huh. which was his, and it's even sadder because he wanted to work on Aladdin. Yeah. And the trade-off was, okay, we'll, you will do Aladdin after Beauty and the Beast, and he didn't get to do Aladdin. And uh, there was one song he wrote for it, which ended up on the stage version of Aladdin called Proud of Your Boy. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one, that is such a beautiful melody. And uh, a lot of people said that he used to incorporate so much of himself into his songs. And Proud of Your Boy felt like his most personal. He's responsible to a lot of y'all's childhood. Very much so. In fact, the whole idea of Part of Your World, like uh, to have Ariel sing it like she meant it, like she was like to act out the singing, that was his idea. Mm -hmm. The idea to have Under the Sea have a Caribbean beat to it, to it, that was him. Yeah. Completely out of place, but you know what? It still lives rent-free in the emptiness of my skull. Yep. Because it was my very first Disney movie. Yeah. Um, first movie I was ever obsessed with. Yeah. And now knowing that a part of our community was involved in my childhood, without even me knowing... Um, it's heartwarming because we are always here. We've always been here. It's not a new thing. Yeah. Um, and it's comforting to know that it's, you're not alone. Yes, absolutely. And I, I'm going to be honest. I, I had, that was the first soundtrack I ever owned and I played out that cassette so much. Oh, for sure. That VHS. <laughs> I, my dad tells the story all the time, um, to anyone who will listen, um, that, Little Mermaid is my favorite movie because I played it so much that the VHS broke. Uh, the tape completely destroyed from overplaying it. Good old VHS. It. Good old VHS. Um, that I cried and I cried to get another one. Aww. Yeah. I'm like, that to me is a signifier of this was quintessential and to my childhood. Same. Absolutely. Uh, I remember wanting to be a mermaid for Halloween and basically being told, no, that's a girl costume. Yeah. Um, also, uh, gender non-conforming, that was nonsense. Hey, we're both gender <laughs> non-conforming. Right? Well, we'll drink to that. I believe, I mentioned it earlier, I think the idea to model Ursula after Divine was his idea. Yeah. So, yeah, so much of, like, what made these movies special came from him. Mm -hmm. And even Alan Menken, he just sort of, like, takes a who is still alive still recording still making uh music will like take a step back and go this was all him yeah uh i love how they mentioned little shop of horrors which was another oh, great musical that he worked film. on oh and um, such a good stage play i did that one in high school mm -hmm. and um i remember we were talking about it um and my my teacher who was putting the show on had mentioned that howard ashman had succumbed to AIDS mm -hmm. and was wondering too if like the whole if that played into the musical itself mm -hmm. and the stage version of Little Shop of Horrors does not have a happy ending uh, all yeah. of the characters die yeah 
uh there's there if you watch the director's cut of the movie you get that ending and it is hard to watch yeah it's in my opinion the better ending because it also has the don't please don't feed the plants musical number yeah but also like all of your favorite characters from that movie die yeah um on that note since it is technically on topic MJ Rodriguez plays Audrey in the stage play. Just yes, recently. I've seen I've seen a video of that. Yes, and does a phenomenal, so phenomenal rendition of it, and it is quintessential to the character because it's always been played by a white woman, and yeah. so having it as a trans uh, woman of color changes the dynamic of the storyline. Yes, uh, especially when um, it's honestly acknowledged. Like, it is the centerpiece of it, and it's... I think Audrey gets such a raw deal in that musical, too. God, I mean, she yes. doesn't deserve to die. No. Seymour, sure, let's Seymour go. But yeah, the Audrey Audrey didn't deserve it. No. She's been through enough. Let her live. Mm-hmm. That's why sometimes I say that the original ending is better, but the movie version is a lot more comforting. So if you're in a bad mood, watch the, thea- the movie cut, not the... Stage. stage play yeah mm-hmm. but yeah that was howard uh, we uh, so i take it you've seen that one too yes yeah. i have we have thank you for the recommendation though and i would recommend it uh as well if you have disney plus it is on there fasten your seatbelts. it's going to be a bumpy night so today i want to introduce a new segment for our rotating segment and that is called drunk movies so that's really good um have you uh seen drunk history same basic premise um except we are going to summarize a movie with um a considerable blood alcohol content level in our system um well we've already started uh imbibing a little bit so it's getting there listen i'm like three sheets of the wind and it is great and we're going to talk about but i'm a cheerleader but i'm a cheerleader my god uh it is a high camp lgbt story since we know we're staying on theme very much um it has a a lot of people that you will recognize it has uh natasha leon claire duval rupaul as a straight man Right. Uh, Melanie Linsky, Bud Court. Like, you will recognize them when they go on screen. Um, Also has the guy, um, oh my God, in Hook. Uh, I'm forgetting. Rufio? Yeah, Rufio. The the guy who plays Rufio, I am literally forgetting his name. I do apologize. He's beautiful. Yes. Um, Alcohol, sorry. Um, Is also in it. Um, But basically, uh, Natasha's character uh, plays a, a... a cheerleader she's a, but she's a cheerleader but she's a cheerleader and she <laughs> outwardly starts to express uh lesbian attraction and they have um she gets sent to a camp yeah basically she gets sent to a camp but it, it's she's at the point where she's not really understanding why she's there she's like i can't be here i'm a cheerleader but i'm a cheerleader um but they're all saying girl you're a lesbian like straight up lesbian um and it's basically going to a conversion camp. Yeah. Um, which... I mean, real life problem. Real life problem. And they're actually very huge trauma experiences. But um, it is a film made by our community. Yes. Making light of a horrible situation that we've... I mean, laughter is a good way to express... Um, to express our horror over something that is... 
100%. Like and humor, not laughter, but yeah, humor. Yeah, humor. Um, it is a good example of gallows humor. Yeah. Um, and the only reason why I say it is part of gallows humor is because we are in the stocks. Yeah. We're not the audience of the gallows. We are in the gallows, and that's the qualification for gallows humor. Yeah. Um, and, huh. um, and so the story basically goes through her denial, basically the, the 12 stages of grief in a form of her coming out as a lesbian. And it is such a wild adventure because it has high contrast color blocking to signify gender, um, pink for girls, blue for boys. Um, and that's like the biggest takeaway of like you visually and all of them are forced to do labor that pertains to their gender. So they're confusing gender and sexuality immediately from the get go. Of course. Um, cause they want to reinforce of you are a boy, you do boy things. So the effeminate characters are just full flaming homos. <laughs> Uh, trying to do yard work. And they have a whole scene where this hot guy, don't know his name, really don't care, uh, <laughs> sexually doing yard work. And they're all just kind of standing there. Yeah. Standing there just drooling. And it's hilarious. Um, Natasha's character is 180 of how she is now. Uh, Natasha's a phenomenal actress. Oh, yeah. Uh, that has just such a raspy, down-to-earth... Like, I'm just talking to you. I have, like, this, like, just rambunctiousness to her that is 180 of how her character is. It's very prim, proper. I'm, I live this way. I do this. And, like, it is a full 180 of, like, the actual actress herself. And it's great to see. And, whew, oh, this wine. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, RuPaul plays one of the counselors at the at the camp yeah and it, it has the whole trope of secretly gay yeah of course um and this, that's a, that not this <sighs> appears in a lot of our, our our work too this shows up i believe what is it eating out does this as well yeah and and you, and you see that trope often and a it's funny b it's true but c it puts a lot of the homophobia back into our community that's yeah it's it's problematic but but it keeps happening. Yeah. I hate it. But it's... <laughs> and, like, the fact is, yeah, it does continue to happen, unfortunately. But in the way that it happens, it reinforces back the homophobia that we witness back onto a community and keeps heterosexuals not accountable for their actions. Yeah. And that that's that's a problematic narrative as yeah. well. Um, not to say that this isn't a thing that happens, because of no. course it does. It, of course it does, and that's part of the gallows humor that it was, but I'm a cheerleader. Yes. Yeah. literally taken light of what is happening, and I think it's funny. It's a high camp adventure that you are great to watch when you're smashed. Because of course, yeah. It doesn't take themselves seriously. The, like, you are in for an adventure throughout and it has like the names that we recognize is because they've gone on to like huge things since this like clay duvall number one she was in a ton of things in the 90s she yeah. was like late 90s uh teen everything um now i believe she was the director on 
one of the first major gay Christmas movies, mm-hmm. Happiest Season, which so another good. recommendation. Um, that was Kristen Stewart and Aubrey Plaza. Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing. So good. But like the main actress, Natasha. Natasha Leone? Yeah, yeah Natasha oh my Leone, gosh. Russian Doll, Orange is the New Black, American Pie 2, Scary Movie 2, Dennis the Menace. Dennis the Menace? Wait yeah. a minute, that was... She... 1993. Oh, wait, 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 who was she in that? She was, was she, um... She was Polly. Polly, okay, all right. Well, yeah, she's been she's been a lot of stuff. Yeah, she does a lot, and people don't really realize. And I'm glad that she was on SNL not too long ago. Yeah, and, I, and of course, Russian Doll, which I still need to see. It's I've so heard it's good. amazing. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Hello, my name is Doris. That mm-hmm. was a good one. Uh, Sally Field. <laughs> yeah, tons of talent in this movie. Uh, and like, and it doesn't take itself seriously. Granted, the acting is not the best. And it was late '90s, and again, this is like. Uh, gay. Oh, Michelle Williams was in this. Mm-hmm. That's right. Good old ally Michelle Williams. I'm assuming because she was also in Brokeback. Yes. <laughs> and, and it's consistent. Like yeah. And and you get to see like the love story of Natasha Leone and Clay Duvall blossom while they are scrubbing the floors, <laughs> like on their knees, yeah. scrubbing their floors. And it's just, they don't lose themselves throughout yeah. the whole process. And that's that's a thing that's like, especially when you think about like conversion therapy, the whole the whole point of that is to make you lose a part of yourself. Um, like more serious takes on it, like Boy Erased, mm-hmm. um, do reinforce like how horrible of a thing this is. Um, if there's a podcast that I listen to um, called Conversations with People Who Hate Me. Mm-hmm. This is uh, with um, uh, 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 Carlos he... from my, uh, Night Vale. Oh my God, I'm blanking out. All I remember is uh, Carlos. Yeah, <laughs> another Carlos. Yes. Um, he brought together the guy who wrote Boy Erased with the guy who ran the conversion therapy uh, location. Mm-hmm. And the two of them had a conversation together since the guy who ran the conversion therapy camp also recently came out as gay. Yeah. And it was like such a a very interesting dynamic that was happening between the two of them. Um, Just because like this person caused so much grief to this guy who was just this kid who for being himself only to like later find out like, oh, my God, I caused harm to people. Yeah. And it is a serious conversation to be had and not to take away from like the comedy of, but I'm a cheerleader, especially for like something that came out in like the late nineties. No, Um, it is. It is a hilarious film. And I feel like both stories. Oh shit. You're right. It is 1999. Worth telling. Yeah. Yeah. Like both stories, like the serious one, the true story that happened. Mm -hmm. And also like the comedic take on it. That's just like, okay, we're, we have to deal with this. Let's find the humor in the darkness. Yeah. So, so I kind of ramble a little bit, but... No, it's fine. It's the wine. Anyway, it's the, the wine. The wine. Good choice, by the way. Alma Libre, a 2020 Cabernet Sauvignon from uh, Maipo Valley, Chile. So good. Yeah. Uh, they are not paying me to plug their service, but I use Wink... That's W-I-N-C. It's a wine subscription service. I'm not 
I, I'm not going to say I'm a connoisseur, but I do like wine. You dabble. You I dabble. Yeah. I mean, this this sucker has 14.3% alcohol. My God, you're trying yeah. to kill me? Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just going to get another glass. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. There's, oh, yeah, wow. We, there's we a little bit. Of, we kind yeah. of... Yeah, we, we were we at the, we were towards the bottom of the bottle there. Listen, bottoms are great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Carlos. Um, where where can we find you on the socials? Oh, you can find me on multiple socials, uh, specifically Carlos the Fog. Um, that is. Hold on, let me go into the my number of times I read that is Carlos the Frog, which is so fun. Yeah. So on Instagram, you can find me on Carlos with a K, uh, like a kiss. Uh, Carlos the Frog, all periods in frog. between. Carlos frog. the Frog. <laughs> frog. I, I did. That was wine. <laughs> wine. Anyway, uh, it's Carlos dot the dot Fog, like Fog the weather. Uh, and then of course, uh, you can find me on Twitter as well uh, on. Uh, all one word, Carlos the Fog, just all together. Um, and you can also uh, reach me uh, as well through Handbasket, uh, through Handbasket hand Zine. I'm one of the contributors. Uh, so I do recommend reading everyone who is involved with Handbasket. They are phenomenal writers that you give a nice uh, slice of life of queer experiences. Eventually, I plan to write a piece for them. There was one I was going to, but it rambled on so much and I didn't have time to edit it. But eventually, I'm going to write a piece. It's fine. It's ran by uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Taylor B. Uh, he is the editor-in-chief of Handbasket, and he is a phenomenal uh, writer himself, as well as a radio DJ uh, for, uh, and he does Pride Nights on Mondays. Don't quote me. <laughs> Wine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So but, yes, thank you for having thank me. Thank you for being here. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. This is like, so this is a subject that I have, I, I, that is really important to me and will continue to be important to me because it's part of my identity. It's yeah. and yours too. Yes. Um, I have a list of Pride Month recommendations that I posted on Instagram a year ago. I could post them once again to the Twitter page. That is that is uh, in a pod like this on Twitter. Uh, also in a place like this podcast on Instagram. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you are not just entertained, but somehow reborn together.